0: Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, your journeyman entrepreneur, ready to share with you a great interview about the realities of building and growing a company beyond eight figures. Today's guest is a personal friend of mine, but more importantly, for at least the show, he is an incredible entrepreneur. He started his first business when he was 19 years old and he had no clue what he was doing when he started, but he grew and he became involved with every aspect of starting and growing that business. He didn't have much of a personal life and that did become something as he grew his family, but he was successful. And in 2011, he sold the company for a pretty penny. He uses his new concepts to not only run his company, his new companies, but to support and mentor other entrepreneurs. His secret sauce is that he's become an advocate for delegating and outsourcing the work necessary for growing your company. He so much believes in this that he's written a book. Like I said early, he is a friend of mine. So I was very, very lucky to get my hands on an early copy a couple of weeks ago, and my mind was truly blown. I've been incorporating so much of it over the past couple of weeks that I wanted to have him on the show and share with you different aspects from the book. In his new book, Outsourcing for Success, How to Make the Most of Freelance Talent and Boost Your Business, he shares how to get the most from this freelancing talent and how to use the talent to scale your business to the next level without sacrificing your life. Let's let him talk to you. Welcome, my favorite drinking buddy, Kevin Ashcroft.
1: Thanks, AJ. The inspiration, I guess, to to write the book literally came to me uh, one day as I was sitting in a cafe in Spain, having a glass of wine and some pasta for lunch, and as I was talking to a couple of my freelancers via email and Skype, literally the, the idea just came to me that wouldn't it, wouldn't it be really useful to have a book on on the subject of outsourcing and how it works and you know how to make use of it how it can how it can impact your business how it can actually impact your life and it can make quite a difference there um, and so um, the, it it came to me in that afternoon and within about within about 30 minutes i had written down the the list of contents i had written down the content pages and the general structure for the book. And what I immediately done as soon as as soon as soon that part had finished and the glass of wine had gone and the pasta was removed from the table was I uh, emailed five or six people just to let them know that I had decided to write a book. And the reason for that for me was, was so that I had some level of accountability, mm-hmm. um, which is a real big thing in my life. You know, the more accountability that's there, the better you know i tend to i tend to do and the more i achieve and the more i follow through which i guess is is kind of you know is a kind of common sense thing so i emailed five or six people just to say you know listen i'm writing a book it's about outsourcing um i'm hoping to have it finished within about 12 months and you know at that point that gave me a little bit of certainty that i would progress with it because i had put it out there um, and I didn't want to go back to people in 12 months' time and tell them nothing had happened, you know. So I got the contents done. I emailed those people. And, and really, that's that's where, it, that's where it started.
0: When you sold your IT company and you started up this thing, what kind of led down the path to really rebuilding your business around outsourcing? And yeah, how you can see other entrepreneurs following in your footsteps in doing so?
1: Yes. Yeah, so the, the reason for me trying this different model was that I'd started my first business when I was 19. That's 30 years ago. And I started that business at 19. Um, and pretty quickly, I had started staffing that business and we grew it to, um, to a good size in the Scottish marketplace. Over those Almost 20 years of having that business, um, we employed, you know, hundreds of people. Not at the one time, but you know, we had we had different people come in and out of the businesses as, as you would expect in that length of time. And you know, there's there's a lot of positives uh, to having a a team and an office and, and working there together. But there's also there's also negatives, you know. And as i seen business evolving and the type of businesses that I wanted to get involved in, and, and for me, that was more about remote businesses. That was location-independent businesses, and anything I look at now has to have location independence as a core part of it. And so when I started the, the marketing business blinkered in 2011 or, or thereabouts, my focus at that point was to try and make it different, not to have offices, not to have staff members uh, working 40 hours a week or whatever their particular contract would be. It was to have a lot more flexibility. It was to bring people in who were specialists in their particular areas and really to get a, a business model where there was a lot more flexibility, where I could upscale quicker and also that I could downscale. You know, if if the inquiries reduced or the client demand's reduced, then I had that option. And that's when I turned to outsourcing and I made a very specific decision at that point that I wouldn't hire any traditional full-time staff. I wouldn't have um, a, a physical office and I would look to build a much more flexible Business that that I w- that I hoped would be more enjoyable and more profitable, and and in general just make it you know a, a nicer a nicer business and, and and something that with the location independence I could be anywhere and run it and and those were some big points for me.
0: So you go from beautiful Scotland to some non-exotic southern Spain, if I'm. Correct. So location independence seem to have worked, you know, in 10, you know, for the past 10 years now.
1: Yeah, it definitely has. So, you know, we, we didn't move to Spain 10 years ago, so we moved almost four years ago. But what was really nice about it was, you know, we made, we made the decision to move. Um, we had an opportunity with the age that our kids were at, that we felt it was a time that we could move. We could move them without much disruption to the schooling and we, we had actually an option at that point we were thinking of either moving to england which was the preference for my wife and for for my two kids we did a pros and cons checklist uh we all sat down and we said you know if we're going to make this move where would we like to be my view was you know we could move to england or somewhere else in scotland at any point it's you know it's an easy move But we have this one opportunity as a family to do something a little bit different. So we did our lists and we looked at the lists and uh, I was the only one that picked Spain. You know, it's fair to say that I got defeated in the vote, but time was on my side in that my wife Joan has a horse and it was winter time when we started to do the list. It was getting very close to Christmas. And she was going up to the horse, and she was doing the mucking out each day, and she was uh, literally smashing the top of the water buckets to, you know, to remove half-inch, inch-thick ice, so that you know she she could water, she could give the horses water and uh, and those kind of things. And she came back down one day from the, from the horse. I think fair to say, pretty defeated and in, in fairly low spirits, cold, wet. Miserable, And she'd been up there for two hours or so, a real heavy shift. And this is a daily occurrence for, for a horse person. And she came in the door, we had a, we had a cup of tea, a quick chat. And then she kind of turned and said, you know that that Spain idea? Could we maybe just revisit that again? And so the, the conversation the conversation went from there. That was near Christmas. In the February, we went over... Um, up to the Murcia region of Spain, we had a look there for a couple of days, and then in the April we came down uh, to the southern part to the Costa del Sol. We stayed here with the kids for about ten days, and we made the decision that it could work, and let's give it a try. And in the August, mid-August, we moved over um, to Spain, and the the great thing about that, from a business perspective and location independence, was that whilst i moved country i still operated the business the exact same way as i had been the day before so it was really fluid and it was really simple and that's because you know i had set the business up that way so it's you know it's been a real positive and it's made that very easy for us as a family yeah i think a lot of people you know
0: think about the location pendants and all the but. It's also the idea that once it's set up and you are moving and you kind of go, and I love how in your book you kind of talk about the process and setting up. So let's kind of next talk about that. But like this idea that once you're there, your decisions of where to go, how to spend your time become secondary to the running of the business. The running of your business is not affected by how you decide or where you decide to be, which is, you know it seems so obvious and especially now after covid but 2011 it really wasn't so that's really impressive you you know took that route back then you know in speaking of this you know i talking about covid and you know how you talk about looking at it i know a lot of people have definitely been you know a lot of our listeners a lot of entrepreneurs especially you know with covid and everything are Taking outsourcing more seriously. Where would, you, where would you suggest people start focusing or looking at outsourcing as part of their business? How would you suggest people you know, start getting their feet, their toes wet?
1: I think the best idea that anyone could ever make is obviously to buy the book. That
0: was
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and we'll have the link in the show notes, everyone. <laughs> So, you know, joking aside, you know, that, that it's a good starting point, obviously. But, you know, start small. You, you know, you don't overthink it. And go in with a, t- a task or a set of tasks that uh, would be useful if it could be completed for your business by someone else, but that, that isn't confidential, you know, that isn't going to be difficult to describe, that won't cost you a lot of money. So it's not a huge investment. And so start start small, get some tasks out there, research the, the, you know, or not research the marketplaces if you've read the book, but if you've not, then research some marketplaces and try writing some job posts, go through the interview process and see how it works for you. Hire a couple of people, um, small tasks. You could hire multiple people for the one task and it lets you see how different people approach it. And, you know, and that's, that's a really sensible way to start, to get used to it. It's safe, uh, it doesn't cost you a lot of money, it doesn't take a lot of time, and then it just lets you get some experience to then move forward to, you know, to more involved tasks or, or bigger projects. One of the things I really did like in the book, and I hadn't really
0: thought of it, but you talk a lot about people creating their own agencies on top of, you know, some of the platforms. And I really do like that concept because it's this idea that you're still going for, you know, as a business owner, instead of getting some of the more established agency structure, you're kind of getting a hybrid agency and getting that sort of like, all right, you're taking on the idea of finding the freelancers and the consultants and, you know, the contractors who do the work and then sort of pull you know, pull that all together to make it work for me. And I can still interact with you either as an agency or through the contractor platform. And I, I think that's a very interesting hybrid that you've started developing and you, know, you reference a few times in the book.
1: How did that kind of come about? It was natural for me because it was just another way of building a team. You mm-hmm. know, So I, I guess you can look at it in two ways or or there's multiple ways that you may use the freelancing the freelancing model so you can use it um, to get people to do specific tasks or mini projects or or bigger projects Um, and you can bring those people in on an ad hoc basis or you can look to build your entire team this way or a portion of your team this way and so you're effectively as you rightly say you're building like a hybrid agency Um, The benefit of doing it for me and the reason I went that way was tapping into specialists. So, you know, I I guess an example of that could be, you know, you may have you may have a web developer that's part of the team and a client may ask you to let's pick something like set up Google Tag Manager and set up specific analytics and and triggers within the website. Now, that's something you could get the the developer to do, but it's not their main skill set. And then what happens is they, they you know they have to spend time to learn it. They may not do it correctly, they may miss some things, it's going to take them longer than is necessary, and you're pulling them away from their core tasks. And so, you know, pulling in someone who is a specialist in Google Tag Manager as, as an example works really well. It's probably going to cost you a little bit more than your developer, but the time they take to complete the task is going to be smaller. There'll be less issues in communication uh, from your perspective and it's very likely to be done right, first time, on time. And so, you know, that, that's kind of one of the examples of, of bringing in specialists when you need, which helps you build an agency and it helps you build more of a, a breadth of service rather than, than being quite narrow. So you can help your clients more. You know, that's that's a good way to... It's been a good way for, for me to build the business. And there's lots of examples of other companies out there who are, who are doing similar things, who are actually operating agencies within the marketplaces that we talk about in the book. So there's, you'll, you'll find freelancers on there and then you'll find freelancers who are part of agencies. Um, and some of these agencies are, are turning over multiple millions per year, just in individual marketplaces.
0: That is really cool. And, you know, you mentioned it there in your example, you know, about the quality, about the, you know, the extra quality, and you bring this up quite often in the book. I think there's this popular conception out there, and I know in some of the business groups, that it's like freelancers, a buck an hour, you know, or the cheapest possible rate. In my experience, that <laughs> you get what you pay for, can you kind of talk to like how a price conscious entrepreneur kind of on their business on the way up. They're not some huge company that has tons of free cash flow, but they're in a position to add up. Yet the balance that question of quality of deliverable versus affordability. How do you kind of see that lever playing out?
1: So I think a big thing for a small business owner or entrepreneur or even mid-sized business owner it is that you're not necessarily looking to bring the the person on full time, you know? In a traditional a traditional marketplace, maybe you're bringing someone on part time, but often it's full time. You may have recruitment fees. You've got the salary. You've got um, if you're in the UK, for instance, you've got employers' tax and national insurance and multiple other costs around about it. When you go down the freelancer model, then you can bring them in for a task or a project. So you've not got this huge cost. So that's that's the first thing. The second thing is, as you touch on, there are a wide range of rates. And you can go down to maybe $3 an hour, up to $500 an hour or more, depending on the task and the role, the freelancer and the marketplace you look at. Um, so you've got a wide you've got a wide choice there to, to look at. For some people, you know, depending on the task, someone at three or four or five dollars an hour may be fine. But you're not going to get a really good web developer for that. You're not going to get a great marketing person for that. Um, you're not going to get a great virtual assistant for that. You know, you have to be realistic in what your expectations are. The higher the rate, the better the reviews, the more experience then the less time you need to communicate, the the more likely you're going to get something done right first time. You're going to get a higher quality of work. They're going to check their work better. um, And they're they're going to finish quicker because they know what they're doing. So it's about getting a balance. Um, Don't expect everything to to be dirt cheap. You know, there is a cost benefit that you can get using the freelancer model. But for me, it's been more about flexibility. It's been getting tasks done later in the evening, earlier in the morning, or when I'm asleep. It's getting it done right first time by someone who's experienced. It's also when you deal with good people and specialists, you get a different level of feedback. You get ideas, you know, you get get communication that can actually help you with your services and your client. It can help you get more business from your clients and you get happier clients. So that's the kind of mix for, for me, you know, that you can save money, but generally for me that that's based around the fact you're not employing someone full time, you're bringing them in as and when you need them. And so you've got that flexibility. It's more about
0: the structural savings versus the direct you know, per hour comparison.
1: Yeah, completely. And, and also if, if I think back to running my traditional business, Often, you know, because you've got staff there, they may not necessarily be running at 100%. You give them tasks that they don't have experience in. And what I've found through personal experience is, A, they don't necessarily like getting a task that they they don't know how to do. B, when they do it, because they don't have experience in it, you can get mixed results C, it it takes longer for them to to complete it. D when you get it back, and if it's not right, you you get frustrated, you get annoyed, you get a bit resentful, you think, my God, can this person not just do this? And so, you know, just having the the flexibility to bring in someone who can do specific things for you that your existing team can't do is is a huge bonus.
0: That really does resonate because I built my business around that concept, but there was something you shared with me a couple of years ago. It's not so much about trying to find the cheapest thing, but finding the diamonds in the rough. Could you kind of explain a little bit to the audience, like, yes, it's not you know this idea of finding the cheapest, but finding you know what is a diamond in the rough, and how can someone you know a
1: business owner go find a diamond in the rough? So the reality of that. On the, on the marketplaces is that it, it takes you a bit longer, you know, than going for someone with all the experience and all the reviews. So, you know, you, you, you look for things like how well their profile's written when you interview them. For me personally, I really focus on their communication and their communication style, because I find that when someone's got some experience in tasks, it's quite easy to train them and, and get them a deeper skill set and you know, and, and get their level of experience and ability. You can get that moved faster, quicker and, and better. But if their communication's bad, if, if that's inherently poor and they don't get what you're saying or they come back with completely different answers, that part is exceptionally hard to train and get right. And so that's, that's one of the first things that, that I look for if I can communicate easily with them, because if I can do that, then there's a big chance that you know, we can work together. Over and above that, it's, it's the work ethic. You know, it's, it's kind of what they're about, the effort they put in, the care that they take with trial tasks and, and things like that, AJ. So, you know, when you, when you work through making sure they've got strong communication, and they've got that desire to, to learn and do better and build their own business because effectively they're self-employed. You know, they are effectively running their own micro business. And if they've got that attention to detail and they care about the results for you, those two things give you a really great starting point. And the rest of it, you know, assuming they've got skills in the, in the general area that you want them to work in. The rest of that can be developed really quite quickly so that that's been a way that you know it's made it easier for me to to decide quickly whether to give someone more tasks whether to invest in them um, with some more training and more of my time and and that's worked well for me over the last 10 11 years of, of using the outsourcing model
0: yeah you talk about having sort of a core team and then having freelancers come come in and out. I know I've had, this has sometimes been a mental issue for me in in talking with other business owners, other entrepreneurs. It's like, how do you balance the mix of having consistent people working on your, you know, your business, you know, contractors full-time, however, that definition, and then people doing bits and pieces. Can you kind of maybe walk us through some of the variations you see and some of the things you try to strive for in that mixed team concept?
1: Yeah, so, you know, we, we effectively have people in the team that, that are full-time with us, they work 30, 35, 40 hours a week. And that, that works great for us there. You know, as you see, the core team, uh, they, they carry out very specific tasks day in, day out. So, for instance, in the in the WP support specialist business, we have Peter, um, who's one of the core team there. He does all the regular reports, he he manages the ticketing system. So he manages all the calls that come in for support and development. And he then either does those calls himself, or depending on what the, the client's asking for, he you know he'll then set them to a web designer or a web developer or a, you know a, a google specialist or whatever it may be or a graphic specialist so you know we, we have a core team because we we know the the amount of business and the request that we're taking care of on a regular basis and it gives us flexibility that if we if we get a, if we get big demand for instance for website designs Our normal guys in the team that we have there can deal with about 90, 95% of that. But if we have some other urgent projects, then we have freelancers that we use on an ad hoc basis. And so they may get past a project, you know, once every two weeks, once every month, once every couple of months. We tell them upfront what the expectation is. So we tell them, you know, some weeks we may give you, one hour of work, some weeks maybe 40 hours of work, some weeks there could be big projects that may take months. So we set their expectations up front so that they know you know what what our relationship is. And what that does, or what it, what I've experienced it does, is you know it, it builds a, a nice level of trust and they know that as and when we need them, we'll bring them in and they can do a good job for us. And so it works well for them because they've got multiple clients themselves and they're working across, you know, different continents with different clients and our our job just fills in another little gap for them. It's good because they've got the relationship with us. They know how we work. They know what our standards are. So they they fit into our process. And it's easy for them because they don't need to go through an interview process with someone else. We've already agreed a rate. So everything's really straightforward. So we've got that core team and then we've got the team that we bring in as and when we need to, who we've got relationships with. And then sometimes we'll need to go and find someone new and we go through you know, uh, creating the, the statement of work, creating the, the job description, deciding what marketplace we're going to use, go through the interview process and then we make some new hires from there. And again... Depending on the job, the role, we set their expectations so that they know how much work they're likely to get from us, whether it's a one-off project or, or whatever. But, you know, there's lots of people over the years that um, that we still use on an ad hoc basis and we've got a great relationship with. And, and that flexibility is, is absolutely uh, brilliant and a, and a great way to to build the business. Yep. Company
0: culture sort of filtering through different aspects of the depth of the relationship. You know, and after a year of COVID, sorry, this kind of made me think. How do you see outsourcing changing? Or what's what's really interesting to you first about what's going on with outsourcing
1: right now? So I, I don't think it's necessarily gonna change in so much as it's gonna become something different. It's it's always been there well obviously because you know I've been involved in it for 10 years 11 years and people have been using it long before then so if you think of like the the four hour work week as as a you know as as a book that was really you know a chunk of that was all about um, him using um, freelancers from the philippines and various other places to to fill the gaps for him so it's been it's been about for a long time i think what is happening now with with COVID is that people have realised because their teams have had to work from home, work remotely, work in a different way, um, businesses, business owners, entrepreneurs have realised the important thing often is not about having a physical person sitting there in the office at a desk for 40 hours a week and then measuring them by the fact they're there. The important thing is to measure the output what it is they actually do what they contribute and what those results are and you know that strangely there are some positives i think that will come from the the pandemic and i think part of that is, is realizing that you don't need a person chained to a desk to get the results and if that then means you know individuals need to travel or commute for two hours to the office you know which often for people is a horrendous experience and the same in the way back if they then get more time with their family their friends more time for themselves and they can produce the quality of work that's required i think that's enormous so i think you know what's coming out of it is it's opening the eyes of many people to say that remote working is more of an option than they thought possible. They can see ways of dealing with their trust issues, which is more about the you know the managers, the directors, the employers, the entrepreneurs than it is about the the staff really. So if they can find a way of dealing with that, trusting the team, uh, finding a good way for the team to work remotely together, and and there's so many options now, you know whether it's the, the likes of Zoom, whether it's uh, Project and project management systems like Asana and Basecamp, you know, there's there's thousands of options for people to work together in a really good way. So I, I think one of the big things is it's opening the eyes of people in business. It's helping them build more trust because they've been forced in to doing it. And I think they'll think about business differently. That's not to say everybody will stay with a remote model or... Everybody will be full-time remote. There's still going to be a mix. But I think ultimately they'll have um, more trust and more flexibility of trying it. And hopefully, you know, the book will, will give some insights into how to do that in the best way possible, how to make it a, a safer experience maybe. And as we touched on earlier, you know, go into the process... In a, in a smaller, more gentle fashion to test things out, to get used to, and to and to build your experience, and then build more of the business from there.
0: Definitely, from you know, reading the book and seeing the process in the way, just the you know, the you know, your examples, and then the forms to use and stuff is really very helpful in kind of I think reducing that piece. Maybe you can talk about. How do you give back? Because I think the audience would like the way that you do this.
1: So what I'm starting now is, I guess, something a little bit different with this. And and on, the, on my kind of personal brand website, kevashcroft.com, we've got a, a giving back section. So, you know, it, it's something that I've done for a long time in my life. And it's something I really enjoy doing. And whether that's You know, you're you're standing in a car park and someone doesn't have, you know, uh, 50p or a pound to, you know, to to pay for their ticket or whether you're, you know, you're in a, uh, you know, at the checkout in a supermarket and they're short of a couple of quid. It doesn't take much to just hand over that little bit to help them complete the transaction. And the feeling I get from it personally, from a selfish point of view, is wonderful. I think the feeling that the other person gets is often surprise um, initially, uh, but then you know some feeling of of connection and, and happiness because someone's done something good for them that they don't know. But what I would like to do, I, I would like to take it a little bit further. So, you know, these are kind of serendipitous things that happen, and I'm trying to, I guess, maybe create more of a regular serendipity uh, moment that happens. So. In the personal website, I'm talking about two things where I'm going to give back actively. So one of those is mentoring. And I'm opening up four slots every six months. So every six months we take on four new mentees and really that's to help provide accountability for them, to help them get some sort of usefulness out of the process. i went over for the last 30 years You've been there as well, AJ, as, a, as an entrepreneur and a business owner. You make a lot of good decisions, but often the big experiences you get are from the the bad decisions that you make and the learning you get from that. Assuming you don't keep making the same mistakes over and over again and you learn from them. And, you know, there's there's a lot of experience I've got there from making good decisions and bad ones that I think can help people who are either starting out on a new business or who are already in business, but they don't feel they're getting to where they, they expect they should be or they hope they would be. Um, and I hope that, you know, that process will be useful to those people. And the second piece of giving back is once per month, we're going to select someone or business where they need uh, a good professional website to support what they're trying to do to give them you know, a good window onto the world, so that when people visit their business, they get, you know, the the correct impact and, and experience that they would expect them to get. So, those are, those are two things we hope that are, you know, a good way of a good way of giving back. And we're going to pick people, as, as we say, we'll go through a, a kind of process, a questionnaire, and people who are running businesses are starting a business and who have part of their business is giving back also will be given preference as to likely being chosen because what I want to do is is try and continue that chain as much as possible where there's more people giving back in an active way rather than a passive way rather than it kind of just happening in the moment so that's the that's the giving back piece you know we've always supported charities and you know there's many there that we take care of that we provide free support in the wp support business or we help them with web needs and the blinker business but this is something you know kind of more specific and active that we're trying to put in place and i hope it hits the right chord and i hope it's i hope it's useful
0: i really thought that was very interesting that way of giving back and just be more actively involved in sort of the success or the opportunity for those people who get selected. Um, We'll make sure that we have a link to Kevin's personal website and this program in our show notes. So please, if you are interested in learning more or talking to Kevin about it, please go check him out. And we'll, once again, in the show notes, everyone. Thank you so much for being on the show. Since you do have a book coming out, would you tell folks a little bit about why it's so great, because I was very excited in reading one of the earlier versions. I know it's still being fine-tuned, but I was very, just the amount of actionable insights and examples and documents and stuff. I know you, there'll be links. Can you tell us a little bit what comes with the book?
1: Yeah, no problem. So, you know, the the point of the book really is is to give Um, business owners and entrepreneurs an insight into outsourcing and how they can use it in their business to make their lives easier, to help them scale the business, to help them grow the business, to get access to skills and services um, that maybe they don't have or maybe they they find it hard to access. So that's kind of a, a core part of it. We talk in the book about the pros and cons because it's important to understand that whilst there's, you know, a huge number of positives, there are some negatives to the outsourcing side. In reality, they're, they're not really that different to employing traditional staff the way we have for, for thousands of years. Uh, but we lay that out as well so that everybody's clear on, on what to expect. There are a huge number of marketplaces where you can go and, and find talent. So you, you know, traditional places like LinkedIn and so on are becoming more of a, a an option a, as well as more people you know, move to a freelancing model. Um, but there's there's loads of marketplaces like um, Upwork and Freelancer and ReadSay and, and so on. So we talk about a number of those marketplaces and, and give you a kind of heads up on what to expect from them, what they're best for, what they're more suited to. And then we move on in the book to a section that, that I've titled Steps for Success. And really what that takes you through is, you know, how, how to write your scope of works, Uh, how to write a good job description, why it's important, uh, how to work through your interview techniques, how to screen people, how to work through the selection process, how to manage them and onboard them into your business and, and your way of working. And then we talk at the the end of the book on sections that are quite important for people, you know, like what happens if the job's not going well? What happens if it's going really slowly? Uh, What if the freelancer vanishes? You know, so there's a lot of sections in there that we go through that are natural parts that I've learned over the last 10 years of dealing with freelancers and and agencies on these marketplaces. So what we're doing there effectively is, is, is condensing my knowledge of the the pain points that may happen and how to deal with them so that either they they don't happen or it minimizes the interruption to you and your business or or any hassle that that you may get that's kind of the the book in a in a nutshell it's there to um to help people understand outsourcing is a is, is a really great option how best you access it how to make it as painless as possible how to give you the best chance of success with it and you know, and hopefully it covers everything that 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 people will need to to get into this. I'm, go- I'm going to see a new way of working. It's not really because it's been there for a while, but I think because so few people have tapped into it that it's 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 kind of new, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely think I think this is you know without a doubt. You know, two years ago it started becoming a bigger and bigger conversation. The past year, obviously. As, and i think people are looking now at talent as a global structure not just a regional and you go you go deep into your book of how to take advantage of that so you know definitely we'll have links to it at, um, to the book to amazon of course um, to your site where people can and um, i know you will have you are putting together some special things for buyers so we'll have links to those too when those come out Thank you so much, Kevin. I greatly appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I know our audience probably have you know, learned a lot and uh, we look forward to seeing the book in print. So thank you. Thanks, AJ, take care. If you wanna connect with Kevin, find out more information about his, the launch of his book and all the specials he's going to have with it, or his Giving Back Mentoring program, look in the show notes below and you'll find all the details there. Don't forget to subscribe to Beyond Eight Figures and be the first one to know about new guests and experts coming to the show and the ability for you to ask them questions. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Goodbye. This episode of Beyond Eight Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues.